Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, you can spend time with him, and he can meet you in the exact same way. I remember the first time the Lord spoke that to me. I had come back from youth camp, and of course, how many of y'all been to youth camp? You've been to places where the Lord has just really um, just ministered to you. And I remember I came back, and I, began, I kept praying, I kept worshiping, and I was filling him the exact same way as I did at camp. And that's when I really realized, man, you can experience the Lord anywhere you go. It's all about whether we want to hear from him. It's all about whether we want to see him. And so I want to encourage you to, to continue to get in his presence. I know that he wants to hear from you. We're starting a new series today, and so I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, uh, how we can get to, into his presence. But I want to just welcome everybody. Do we have any first-time guests with us in the house? I know we got several right up here. Got any over here? Let's give our guests a round of applause. Thank you all for being with us. There's a place for everyone at Kingdom, and we're, gonna, we're determined to find out what that place is. So this is the last day of February. I don't know if you realize that. We're already two months into 2021. How many of y'all are just surprised that we're here? Yeah. It's, we, and we've already had like a year's worth of things happen <laughs> within the last couple of months. I, I, I joked about this last week, but we're just going to refer to as two weeks ago as the storm, okay? So we're going to reference all of 2020 around, around the storm. And I heard one of, the, one of the members from the congregation down the hallway, and they're an older congregation, they said, this is a storm that happens once every 50 to 70 years. And so hope you, I know it was tough, but hopefully you got to enjoy the experience because you're probably not going to see that again, especially in Odessa. I have a couple announcements before we get going. First of all, we kicked off our small groups last week. How many of y'all are part of a small group? I heard, I was able to attend three different small groups and God really showed up at every group. And I heard from all of our other leaders how God is moving. And I want to encourage you to commit to your small group and know that God wants to speak to you in this season. I said this whenever we started small groups a couple weeks ago. Whenever you come to church on a Sunday morning, you are missing one of the most important parts of church, and that is community. If you just come on a Sunday, you're not going to connect with anybody. It's just not, unless you see, unless you sit by the same person every week and you spend a couple of minutes talking about what's going on in your life, you're not going to connect with people. Small groups is where you connect. If you read the book of, the, the book of Acts in the Bible, the church met from house to house. The church in the New Testament looked more like a small group than it did on a Sunday morning service. I'm not saying we didn't need to do away, do away with our weekend services, but we need to begin to, if we're going to experience the Lord the way that he wants, we need to show up to small group and get connected and see community. We also, start, we also are having an Easter service in about four weeks. I can't believe it's already four or five weeks away. We're having three services. So in addition to our 9.30 and 11.15 service, we're having an 8 o'clock sunrise service. So how many, how many of y'all like to wake up early on, in general? How many of y'all grew up going to a, a sunrise Easter service? Anybody? That, I, I've never done, this is brand new to me, so I don't know if I'll even show up. But just, just kidding, I'll be there. Um, some people like that. What we would ask Easter is one of the most visited, is the most visited service of the year. It's the one time that people come to church, unfortunately. But we want to make enough room as possible for people to attend. So 
we're going to ask uh, you to sign up. This is one of the reasons we're signing up, because we want to be able to have enough space. We don't want everyone to come to this service and not have any room. So we're going to have a sign up. So if you could please just designate which service you would like to go to. I would also ask that you try to attend an earlier service, an 8 a.m. service or 930 service, so that we can make room for people that are coming in. Really excited about it. How many of y'all were here last week? Okay, last week we talked about the word of the year for kingdom. So every year we pray at the beginning of the year and we ask the Lord to speak to us and ask him, all right, Lord, we're going into a new year, we're going into a new season. What do you want to say specifically to us to prepare us to enter in? How many of y'all know that God wants to speak to you about the season you go in, that you're going to go into before you go in? How many of y'all know that? He wants to tell you. He wants to prepare you. There are plenty of stories in the Bible where God spoke. One, the one I brought up last week was Joseph. Joseph was a slave in Egypt. God sent him. Joseph had the ability to ter- interpret dreams. Pharaoh, the ruler, the king of Egypt, had a dream, and his dream after Joseph interpreted it was this, that Egypt was going to have a, a harvest like they had never had before for seven years, and then the next seven years, they were going to have a drought like they never had before. The reason God uh, sent Joseph to interpret the dream is so that Egypt could prepare and store extra grain and extra food for the seven years that would be bad. How many of y'all would like to know that you're going into a drought or going into a tougher season before you get there? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you didn't hear what I said. Because (laughs) who would like to know you're about to go into a valley season before you get there so that you can prepare? God wants to speak to you. Um, last year, uh, I love talking about last year because he gave us the word build. The word build, um, he said you're going to build things you don't think that can be built this year. You're going to grow things that you think nothing can grow. Little did we know that two months later, COVID would hit and it would shut down the entire world. Not just Odessa, not just Texas, the entire world. Not only did we not shut down, but we actually grew and we were able to, um, Finances were able to come in, we were able to provide for all of our needs here and also give away literally tens and tens of thousands of dollars. That was not possible unless the Lord had spoken to us. So last week we gave the word of the year and the word of the year is purity. Now when I heard that word, I'm like, okay, purity, it's not build, it's not expand. Okay, what does that mean? When we started the fast, I felt like the Lord said, you're going to be entering into a promised land season this year. Remember, I'm going to be talking about the children of Israel in a minute. The promised land was a place that God, that God wanted to give to his people, but there were certain things that they had to do. For us, if we're going to enter into this promised land season, we have to learn to walk purely before the Lord. What does that look like? Well, for some people, I, I mentioned two things last week. There are two things that I think as a church we need to work on. Number one, we need to work on our attitudes. If we do not have a good attitude, think about your, think about your children. You want to bless your children, you want to take care of your children, but if they have a bad attitude, it's going to be hard to give them some extra things that you want to give them, right? God wants to fix our attitude, and the second one was he wants us to stop talking about people in a negative way. I had this, I had this illustration last week. You ever been around somebody that smells like they have just bad B.O., right? <laughs> if you're sitting next to them, don't do anything, Gazelle. I'm just kidding. Um, the Lord showed me your bad attitude, and when you talk about people, it smells to me. 
those people that you've ever been around people, you're, you're doing whatever you can to get away. That's the Lord. He's like, I want to bless you. I want to give you all these things, but you smell. And until you fix your attitude and until you stop talking about people and hurting the people that I love, talking about the people. Did you know the people you're talking about God created? God thought enough of that person to create that person. So who are we to talk about those people? If we're going to enter a promised land season, we have to walk purely. This past week has been phenomenal to me personally. The Lord spoke to me pretty much every day last week about something that was very significant. And I've said this, he hasn't spoken like that since he called us to start this church. And so already the, the same night that, or last Sunday night after the service, the Lord is already speaking things. He wants to tell you about this year, but the key to us entering the promised land is to walk purely before him. And so I, we're going to be talking about this throughout the year, but inevitably there are a lot of things that we need to work on, right? How many of y'all know there's not just one thing, there's not just two things, there's a, there's a, a list of things. Spouses, you can, you can say, yeah, my husband, my wife, there's a lot of things that we need to work on. I want to challenge you to talk to the Lord, and he'll show you one thing. He may show you two things. He's not, he's not going to have you deal with everything. This is going to be a process. But if we're going to enter into the promised land and stay there, and that's, that's another thing, the children of Israel weren't able to stay there forever because they worshiped other gods, and they, and, they, and they did whatever they wanted to do. Not only does he want us to go in, he wants us to stay there. So I want to encourage you to take that word to heart, and, and because I believe the Lord wants, wants each of us at Kingdom to enter in. Amen? We're starting a new series today, and it's a series on worship. And I, I really believe it fits perfectly with this word of entering to the promised land, and I'll show you why. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Kings 17 verse 26. 17 verse 26. Before we do that, we're going to pray, but you can, you can turn there and uh, just pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for, the, for visiting us during worship. Jesus, we want to experience more of you. We want to hear your voice more clearly. We can't live on our own. We, we really do need you to show up in our lives. So, Father, we're making a commitment this morning to lay aside every weight that holds us down. You see the different things we brought in, burdens, worries, anything, things that are make, making us anxious. You see the things we brought in. We say, Jesus, that we are laying it to the side, and we give you room. We make room for you to speak, and we give you permission. This is really important. You need to ask the Lord you need to give him permission. Father, I give you permission to speak to me. I give you permission to change and move anything that needs to be changed or moved in my life. We thank you, God, for hearing us. We ask for your will to be done in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wanted to say something. The reason we give permission is because when you come to Jesus, you have to repent of your sins. You have to, it's from the heart. The Lord is not just going to save you. You have to from your heart, make a decision to turn to the Lord. The same way when we ask him to speak, we're giving him permission. God is a gentleman. He's not going to burst his way in. He may provide things. He may allow things to happen to get our attention. But at the end of the day, each of us have to make a decision. And so this is why I say, anytime you, anytime you, you start reading the Bible, you start praying, say, Lord, I give you permission to speak to me. I don't want the enemy to speak to me. I don't want my own thoughts to dominate my way of thinking. I give you permission to speak. 
In 2 Kings chapter 17, this is a story. I'm going to read just a few verses, but there's a story where, as I mentioned, the children of Israel weren't able to stay in the promised land forever because they couldn't obey the Lord. So the Bible says that God took them out. Now, he took them out in different waves. The first wave was God took the northern kingdom. At that point, there were two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom he took out first. That was the land of Samaria. The king of Assyria, I'm going to read read what he said in a second. The king of Assyria was the one who took them out. When the king took them out, he decided to repopulate the land with his own people. Okay, so the land wouldn't just go wild so they can still plant and harvest and and use the land. When those people got there, the Bible says that God sent lions to to kill them and eat them. And we're going to read why that happened. Look at 2 Kings 17 verse 26. So a message was sent to the king of Assyria from Samaria back to, uh, to the king. The people you have sent to live in the towns of Samaria do not know the religious customs of the God of the land. He has sent lions among them to destroy them because, listen to this, they have not worshipped him correctly. The king of Assyria then commanded, he sent a message back, Send one of the exiled priests back to Samaria. One of the, God, one of the priests we took out of the land, send one of them back. Let him live there and teach the new residents the religious customs of the God of the land. So one of the priests who had been exiled from Samaria returned to Bethel and taught the new residents how to worship the Lord. What happened? The king who didn't know God, didn't know our God, sent some people to live in this land But what did we talk about last week? This promised land that God wants to give us belongs to God. He's not just going to allow anyone to live there however they want to live. If you're going to enter into God's promises for your life, how many of y'all been praying for things? How many of you been praying for family members, praying for specific situations, financial situations? God wants to give you those things, but he wants to give it to him his way and not your way. You're not going to enter into this promised land of blessing and live however you want to live. This is what happened. And so the king was wise and said, hey, we'll figure out the God that owns that land and send a priest to teach the people how to worship. So that fits in with living purely in the land, but also we're going to learn how to worship. Did you know that you can't live, you can't worship God the way that you want? There are people that come to church when they want. They give when they want, they serve when they want, they love when they want, they forgive what they want, and they expect God to bless them. You're going to live in some land, but you're not going to live in the promised land. And the promised land is full of God's peace. It's full of his blessings. How many of you want to live in the promised land and not your own land? I'm tired of living in my land. I've been there, built a tent, built, and it burned down. (laughs) I want to live in his promised land, but we have to know how to worship him correctly. Years ago, I w- was a worship pastor. I was a worship pastor probably for like five years. And I remember one time I was leading worship. And how many of you have ever been on like in a band or a worship team before? Raise your hand. I'm, I'm actually scouting for potential worship leaders, so raise your hand. <laughs> Just kidding. It takes much time and much effort to get music together and to play a song, one song, the right way. And, I'm, and I joked earlier, this is not about, I'm not referencing our team, but you ever been, you ever seen a band play that you know they didn't practice? Yeah, it doesn't sound very good. 
Um, so it takes a lot of time and energy. And so I was up there playing and sing, and I wasn't singing. Actually, I, w- <laughs> I used to sing into the talkback mic because in that mic, um, Moretta does. I don't think she does it, but in that mic, here, we're able to talk to one another in 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 our ears. And so I'd, sometimes I would sing, and they would they would look at me like, "Hey, you're throwing me off, Josh. <laughs> wrong key, wrong song, wrong lyrics, wrong line." And I remember I was leading worship, and I. Remember, we had just practiced, and I was looking out at worship, and I saw people standing like this. And just looking around, and they weren't worshiping. And I just, this, I would say this righteous anger rose up. I don't know if it was righteous or not. But this anger and, dis, and dis, disgust rose up in me, and I thought, how come these people are not worshiping? Like, don't they know this isn't about them like they're trying they're, we're here to worship God and I began just <laughs> as I'm trying to lead worship I'm having these thoughts and then the Lord spoke to me he said Josh maybe they don't know how to worship maybe they have just entered this land and they haven't been taught and I realized something you know what most people don't know how to worship God most people think worship is the slow music part of the music part of the service. Did you know worship is not just slow music? It's not the part where we, we cry and we raise our hands. And worship is much, much more than that. The title of this series is How to Worship a King. We're going to be talking about this the next four to five weeks. This is a series based on a book by a man named Zach Neese. And he wrote, he wrote this book. I remember the first time I read this book, it, and I grew up in church. I grew up being in a Pentecostal charismatic church, jumping up and down, running the aisles. Anybody been there? Um, do, doing these things. But after I read this book, I thought, wow, I really thought I knew what worship was. And I'm realizing I don't, I don't know the first thing about it. We have to understand that everyone worships something or someone. Everyone worships something or someone, and consequently, everyone sacrifices to something or someone. Do you know you will worship the thing you love the most? You know some people worship their job? Some of you hate your job, but because you spend so much time there, you're actually worshiping your job. And we do it for different reasons. Maybe because we we have these needs we think need to be met whatever, but we worship the things we sacrifice to. So I want you to just take personal inventory. In what area of your life are you making the most sacrifices in? That area is the area you worship the most. Is it God? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? Is it it a hobby? I, I... I play golf. I haven't played a lot of golf, but golf is expensive. And I remember one year I was consumed with it, and the Lord said, you need to, you need to rein that back in because not only are you spending more money than you should on this, on this silly hobby. You think you're going to go pro? You're not going to go pro. He <laughs> <laughs> said, but you're also wasting a lot of time. I remember I stopped playing for like a year or two years. I went back, and I played a full round, and I thought, whoa. Was I really giving half a day to this when I could give it to other things? Everyone worships something or someone. Listen to this. Worship is communicating to God 
that we want and need him. This is why it's so important, because when we learn how to worship, not the way we want, but the way that he asks us to, we then begin to communicate that we need and want him. How many of y'all need Jesus? Okay, you wouldn't be here if you, if you didn't believe that. How many of y'all want him? Okay. If we don't worship properly, we are not communicating that to him. Does that make sense? God wants us to go into this promised land the way that the king sent some of his people. But if we're going to stay there, we have to begin to worship the right way. Look at what Zach Nee said. He said, worship turns every task, everything we do each day, into a demonstration of our love for God. Everything we do, worship turns every task into a demonstration of our love for him. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, we'll be talking about this as, as we continue the series, but in the Old Testament, there were priests who offered physical sacrifices on the altar. There were sacrifices for sin. There were sacrifices for thanksgiving. There are all kinds of sacrifices. The, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was a very bloody, bloody thing. Hundreds, maybe even thousands of animals were sacrificed every day. He says, instead of offering physical sacrifices, I want you to offer yourself as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? That looks like instead of doing what you want, God, I'm going to do, instead of doing what I want, God, I'm going to do what you want. Instead of retaliating in anger, retaliating, retaliating out of bitterness, I'm going to sacrifice what I want, and I'm going to say and do what you want me to do. That is actually the heart of worship. The heart of worship is saying, God, everything I do from the moment I get up in the morning to the moment I lay down at night, I'm going to consider how I can do it to honor you. That's, the, that's how we get up in the morning. It's what we say the first time, the first thing we get up in the morning. It's how we treat our, 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 our employees, our coworkers at work. It's how we treat our kids. It's how we raise our kids. It's everything we do. We're going to take into consideration what God thinks about that. And we're, going to, and we're going to live our lives according to that way. That is how we can become a living sacrifice. Amen? This is the goal of the series. It's for all of us to turn every task we do every single day into an act of worship. The title of today's message is Your Role to Play. So How to Worship a King is a series. The title of the message is Your Role to Play. Now, you have a specific identity when it comes to worship. As Christians, um, we have many names. We're called believers. We're called Christians. We're called children of God. We're called sons of God. We're called, um, we're called Jews. We're called spiritual Jews. In Romans 2, you can read about it. The Bible says a Jew is not one that is just one on the outside, but one that is on the inside, one that is truly trying to live for the Lord. We're believers. Um, we're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. I mentioned this earlier um, Man, did you know that even though you are a man and God created you that way, that you are the bride of Christ along with, with the ladies here? We are the bride of Christ. That's a hard thing to understand. One day when we get to heaven, we'll, we'll fully understand what that means. But we are the bride of Christ. The same way that ladies, you are sons of God. I don't, I don't think I need to say from the top of my head, but when we talk about becoming sons of God or daughters of God, the Bible actually says we are sons of God. It doesn't say we're... Daughters of God, ladies, you are sons of God. So we have this different identity, and, and the Bible outlines what that looks like. But 
when it comes to worship, we have a specific identity, and that is we are priests. Did you know that everyone in here, if you have confessed Jesus as your Savior, you are a priest? That is your role to play in worship. And we're going we're gonna to ex, um, expand on that this, uh, today. We all have an idea of what a priest is, right? How many of you all grew up in a Catholic church or an Anglican church? Okay. How many of you, when I said priest and I said you're a priest, you thought of yourself in that robe or giving the communion? Okay. This series is going to challenge your definition of priest. Yes, those people who occupy that office are priests, but it, 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 there's a much greater responsibility and invitation for everybody. I'm going to prove it to you. Look at 1 Peter 2, verse 5. It says, you yourselves, talking about us, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Look at this. To be a holy priesthood. This is a letter to the believers. This is us. To be a holy priesthood. To offer, there it is again, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here he talks about in the Old Testament, there are physical sacrifices. Now God is asking us to give spiritual ones. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priest. This is amazing. Not only are you priests, you are royal priests, meaning we are sons of God. He is the king. We are his prince and princesses. We are, his, we are royalty in heaven some of us don't know that. Identity is very important to me. This is the thing that really, this is when I really began to know the Lord, when I realized who he called me to be. This really changed my life when I realized that I was his son. I remember, and I've said this several times, and I'll probably keep saying it. I remember when I would struggle with sin, this thought would come into my mind, Josh, you're a son of God. You're better than that. The kings and queens of this world don't just, just don't mingle with everybody else. They are royalty. Therefore, they have to act a certain way. I remember that got me through a lot of temptation, got me through a lot of things because I said, no, I'm a son of God. I'm not going to act that way. This is how, why identity is very important. So when you're priests, you need to accept that and, and, and allow the Lord to, to show you what that means. We are a royal priesthood. We're created to be priests. Now, I want you to think back to Exodus. Some of you all may know the answer to this question. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, God sent Moses and Aaron, okay, to take them out of Egypt. He told Pharaoh, let my people go. But do you remember the reason he told Pharaoh to let the people go? There was a specific reason. Anybody want to just say it out loud? Some of you may know, some of you may not know. To worship. Exodus 8 verse 1, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and announce to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. The whole reason, the whole reason God rescued us out of the bondage we were in is so that we could learn how to worship him. You are not rescued from the bondage that you're in so you can begin to do whatever you want to do. You were delivered so that you can worship him and teach others how to worship him. Once they were delivered, God unveiled his plan to them. This is, this, is, this is awesome. Exodus 19. After he took them out of Egypt, he spoke to them and, and, and told them his plan for their life. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, Israelites, all of you, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, 
for all the earth is mine. What a privilege. He said, of all the people that I've created, you will be my special people, my special treasure. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. His plan, once he took them out of Egypt, was to make them a whole kingdom of priests. But if you keep reading the Bible, were all the tribes ordained to be priests? No, there was only one tribe that was ordained, and those were the Levites. What happened? His plan was for all of them to know him on an intimate level. Priests are people that mediate between God and man. The reason we're called to be priests is because we're called to bring heaven down to earth for people that need it. Right? Anybody, have you, how many of y'all are here today because somebody prayed for you to be saved and you found the Lord through them? Those people served as priests for you. Does that make sense? Priests are people that connect other people to God. This is what we are called to do. God's intention was for everyone to be a priest, but only the Levites were ordained. What happened? And I shared some of this story. I'm going to read some of the passage I did from last week, but what happened? When God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, he took them to a place called Mount Sinai where, he was going to, where Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and the law. As he was gone, he was gone apparently too long, and the people said, we don't know what happened to Moses. He's been gone for 30 days, 20, 30. He's going on 40 days. I don't know, what, I don't know if he fell off the cliff, if God killed him, or we don't know what happened. And so Aaron, this is Moses' brother, Aaron, we want you to make an idol for us. And so what Aaron did, he gathered all the gold that they had. This is amazing. The gold that they had was given to them by the Egyptians. This, isn't, this wasn't even my notes. God blessed them on the way out with this gold. He said, I'm not just going to take you out of bondage. I'm going to give you the, what you need to live out in the land. They took the blessing that God had given them and made an idol out of it. They weren't even able to enjoy what God had given them. They made, this, they made this idol and they began to worship it. They began to make sacrifices to it. They bowed down to it and they started committing adultery with one another. The Lord tells Moses while they're on the mountain, hey Moses, the people that I took out of Egypt, they're already, they're already forsaking me. They're already doing what they want to do. Let me go. To, I'm going to go down and kill them and I'm going to make of you a better nation. Moses being the first priest said, no, Lord, please don't do that. I know they disobeyed you and they'll probably continue to disobey you, but don't do this evil thing. Are you going to really rescue all these people just so you can kill them in the wilderness? What will your enemies say? Because Moses intervened for them as a priest, the whole nation was spared. That's the power of being a priest. I'm telling you, church, this is the year we walk into the promised land. And if you want to see your family saved and you want to see things change, this is the year to walk purely and to take it seriously. This week, I'm telling amen. God wants to do something. So uh, Moses goes down, sees what's going on. He tells Aaron, Aaron, um, what's going on? He said, I don't know. I just threw the gold in this fire and out came a cow. I mean, at least, at least make a man or something that's like, well, at least maybe that is a guy. I don't know. It was a gold statue. I don't know. A cow came out. I didn't say this last week, but if you stop waiting on the Lord, you'll begin to make idols of things. This is why it's really important. I've seen too many people start off well, 
and get disappointed because God wasn't working according to their schedule and completely miss the thing that God has for them. If, if I could just end the service there, church, I, I, I don't want to say beg, but I ask you, keep waiting on the Lord. Do the right thing. Keep praying. Keep fasting. Keep doing the right thing. It is not in vain. Moses may be up on the mountain longer than you want, but I promise you, God is going to come back and he's going to bless you. I'm going to, I'm going to, read, I'm going to read how Moses responded. Look at Exodus 32. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and shouted, All you who are on the Lord's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. He said, Who of all, surely not all of the tribes have, start, have, have done this wicked thing and bow down to a cow? Who is on the Lord's side? Come over here. The Levites came to him, that one tribe. Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one of the camp to the other. He said, go everywhere, kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. What happened? He says, who's on the Lord's side? The one tribe came, and then he told them, go and kill your brothers, your family, your friends. And some of us may think, man, that's pretty, that's pretty intense. Why would God ask us to kill people so close to us? And I, I, for a couple of reasons. Number one, those people were in a way, they were already dead. They were already doing their own thing, and if they didn't turn to the Lord, they were going to perish another way. He said, I want you to put to death these people because if you don't, Cut those people off. If you don't walk purely and cut off the impurity, they're going to affect you and then you'll die. This, is the, this may be a year for some of us. We're going to have to cut off some things that have been infecting you, polluting you, and poisoning you. It will keep you from the promised land. The people that were ordained to have a special relationship with the Lord where they could go into their tabernacle, they could hear God's voice were the people that were on God's side and those who were willing to purify and take out everything that was impure in their life. Yeah. Only the Levites were left. God wanted all 12 tribes to be, to be priests, but only the Levites were on his side. We have to decide if we're on his side. Okay, so now that we're priests, what do we do? I'm going to tell you a priest's job description. I already said it, but I'm going to put it on the screens. It's simple. Our description as priests is are to worship God and help other people worship God. We are to worship God and help others worship him. We have to learn to let go of the, re, of the preconceptions about what it means to be a priest. Look at Deuteronomy 10 verse 8. It says this, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi, number one, to carry the ark of the Lord's covenant, and to stand before the Lord as his ministers, and to pronounce blessings in his name. These are their duties to this day, and I will say these are your duties as well. The first thing we do as priests is that we carry his presence. One of the priests' responsibility was to carry the Ark of the Covenant. How many have heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Okay, it was a box. How many of y'all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anybody? I love that movie growing up. Indiana Jones, I th it came out like in the 80s, and so I was still like five years old when I watched it. I don't, my parents let me watch anything back then. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. 
I love that movie. I love the whip. I remember my parents went to Mexico, and they had those whips that those people were selling. Like, hey, I want that whip. So I had my sister, my little sister, at target practice for a little bit. And then my brothers came along, and they were faster at target practice, so I really got really good with that whip. Um, we, re- we know about the Ark of the Covenant, some of us, from that story. What was it? It was a ornate box, a, a very uh, specifically crafted box that was overlaid with gold. The priests would carry it, check this, on their shoulders. They were not allowed to put it on a cart. They were not allowed to put it on anything else. God, they, the, the Ark of the Covenant was created to be carried by people, not by things. Check it out. A lot of us think that people, that God lives in a building. He doesn't live in a building. He lives in us. We were created to carry the ark. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. So they were created to carry it on their shoulders whenever God's presence moved around. But whenever it didn't move around, it lived in a tabernacle or later it lived in the temple. The tabernacle was a structure that could be set up and and torn down and moved from place to place. Once they got into the promised land... It stayed in one place in the temple in a building that they built. It was the most valuable thing that they had in their possession. Why? Because it represented this God's presence. Wherever the ark went, God's presence. Until Jesus came, the Holy Spirit only lived in the Holy of Holies. He didn't live inside people. That's why it was very special to them. Where the ark went, the blessing, the authority, and the power of God went. Whenever they carried the ark, the Bible says that when they went into the promised land, he sent the priests first who stood in the river with the ark on their shoulders. The, the, the river split in two just like the Red Sea did, and all the people were able to go through it. They took the ark around, around the walls of Jericho, and after seven days, the walls came down. Okay? You see, you see where I'm getting? God doesn't live in a box anymore. He lives inside of us. So if he lives inside of us, wherever we go, the authority and power and blessing of his presence goes. 1 Corinthians 6, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple or tabernacle and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is the reason we have to live purely because God says, if you're going to confess me as Lord and Savior and say that you're a Christian, say that you go to church, you better act like it because you are the temple of God and I live on the inside of you. If we just knew, and I'm talking to myself too, I've, I've, I've lived for the Lord faithfully for a long time, not perfectly, but faithfully for a long time. If we knew that God lived inside of us, would we ever have a bad day? Would we ever encounter a situation that we knew we couldn't overcome? No. Some of, somebody in here needs to get the revelation that God lives inside of you. So there's never a reason to have a bad attitude or to have a bad day. Doesn't mean that we're not going to experience emotions. That's another thing. But we have the authority and power to say, I'm not going to respond to that. I'm not going to be taken captive by that lie. I'm not going to allow that doubt or that fear and that anxiety to rule my life. I have the Spirit of God living on the inside of me. So we carry His presence, number one. This is the reason they carry on their shoulders, because we are called to carry it. Number two, the second thing that we do is we minister to God. Verse 8 again, at um, 
to carry the Ark of the Covenant and to stand before the Lord as his ministers. We're going to learn more next week about what worship means, but there are different words for worship in the Bible. The Bible is written in Greek and Hebrew, and so there are many different Greek and Hebrew words. I'm, I'm really excited to get into that. We're going to learn more about what it means to raise our hands, to bow, to kneel, all these things. The second most used word, though, in the Bible for worship is a Greek word, latreuo, L-A-T-R-E-U-O. I don't know if it's up there. It means to minister to God. This word means to minister to God. Did you know there is not one word in the Bible, Greek or Hebrew, that says worship is for people? What does that mean? That means that when we walk into church on Sunday morning, we do not have this idea in our head, I wonder if the worship's going to touch me this morning. I wonder if they're going to see my favorite song. I wonder if they're going to do this. I wonder what I'm going to get out of worship. Do you know there's not one word in the Bible that worship is for us? It's not for us. Unfortunately, church, the modern day body of Christ church is marketed to people. I think somewhere along the way, the church lost the power of God. And so we thought, we got to get people in. So let's make them feel a certain way. Let's give them these fancy mugs on the way out. Let's, let's provide this for them and let's, let's, let's do this and do that. Instead of focusing on the Lord, do you know worship, did you know church is not about you? I've had people, when we ask people to serve, and, and unfortunately, most people do not like serving in kids' church, but I've had people say, well, what am I going to do, serve kids? Uh, okay, well, I'll serve once, I can just serve once a month, that's, that's our once every other month. Don't raise your hand, because I know some of us, I've been there in different ways. When we come into church on Sunday morning, when we come into worship, we don't come in seeing what we can get out of it. We come in saying, you know what, I'm here not for myself, I'm here to worship the Lord, and I'm here to see how I can help other people worship the Lord because I am a priest. Church is not about you. This is not about what you can get out of it. This is not about what I can get out of it. Trust me, there are less less stressful things that I can do than being up here, really, really. There are more things I can do to make more money, but it's not about that. It's not about that for you or not about that for me because we're living our lives for his glory and his pleasure, and God has a unique calling for each of us. And I'll say this, there may be more things, money or relationships or whatever on the outside, but there's not more peace and there's not more joy and there's not more fulfillment because guess what? God created you. Imagine you're God and you create this robot and you know exactly how you created a, the robot, what it needs to survive, needs to be oiled, needs to be checked, needs to be tuned every so often. And that robot says, I know a better way to live than what you're telling me. That's what we do to God every time we say my way is better than yours. He created us. Not only did he create us, he loves us. He wants us to have a good life, but he won't let us do it the way that we want. I love what Zach Neese says. We have made worship about us, our preferences, our tastes, our comforts, our opinions, ministering to our needs and and coddling our self-centered natures. When we make worship about us, what we communicate to God is that worship is for us. When worship is for us, we become the object of worship, little gods in our own hearts.
Church, this is not about you. I know, and I, I think I talked about this a couple months ago when I talked about serving. A lot of people think, well, I just want to be in service because God's going to speak to me. Again, that's already the wrong mentality. But I'll even say this. The Lord will speak more to you when you serve people than when you receive. Think about the disciples. They walked with Jesus and served all these people. But guess what? They were walking with him. They had every need met. They, were never, they never went hungry. He was able to multiply bread and multiply fish as was needed. They had every need met. We need, to, we need to understand that true peace, joy, freedom is not found in coming to receive. The Bible says we are most like the devil when we take and we're most like God when we give. So if you're coming in to take, you're more like the devil than you are God. And that's hard to hear, but it is the truth. We're here to give, but when we give, God gives so much more to us. A verse that the Lord spoke to me last week concerning some of the things he showed me was Galatians 6, 7. It was one of the verses that version posted on Monday, and it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he reap. Meaning, God, and I, people always taking that verse to say, well, if you do bad things, you're going to reap bad things. That's absolutely true. But the way the Lord showed it to me is this, Josh, if you do the right thing, if you do your best, not always doing the right thing, but if you do your best to serve me and to love me and to love my people, you can be sure I will not be made a liar. I will bless you. I will bless you and your family and everyone around you. <laughs> Worship says, God, not, not, not what I can get from God, but God, what do you want from me? What can I give to other people? Our responsibility of, as priests is this, to worship God and worship others. And when we do that, we carry his presence and we minister to other people. Amen.